and welcome to Social Disgraces, where we talk all things social issues and spirituality. On this podcast, we share stories from people who have been a part of oppressed or marginalized communities, overcome challenges, or advocated for change. We often incorporate a faith tie-in, and we'll have several topics centered around spiritual issues and religious deconstruction. On this podcast, we believe in loving thy neighbor, Black Lives Matter, LGBTQ rights, our human rights, feminism is for everyone, and we all deserve a little grace. Today, we have a really exciting guest. We will be speaking with Erin Billings. Erin is an audio-visual production consultant and project manager who's worked with Grammy Award-winning artists. She has a couple of podcasts of her own and is definitely not afraid of tackling some touchy subjects when it comes to things like racism or deconstruction in the church. And today, we are going to talk with her about being an ally, especially in white and Christian spaces. So... Welcome, Erin. So you have a really fascinating background. Can you share a little about that and just about yourself? Sure. Um, So I am a musician, first and foremost. Um, I started like (laughs) I was raised in the church. My mom's a pastor. Um, Everybody in my family is a pastor, really. I've been playing in church since I was about 12 years old. I went to school for music. Um, I started out as music ed and then I did a degree in church music. Um, And I've been touring since 2007. Um, I first started touring with a guy from American Idol. I've toured with people from The Voice. I've toured with people from America's Got Talent. Um, And I've worked with Grammy Award winners. which is awesome. I love music. <laughs> and while I was working in the music industry, I also worked in the church. So it was really fun to kind of do both. Um, a lot of the artists that I work with are Christian artists. So it, it kind of, it felt like the, the two were enmeshed. Um, for me, I dealt with a lot of chronic health issues. And so I came off the road and mainly worked in church for a long period of time until I got into this really bad car accident that should have killed me. And um, that's kind of whenever I started pivoting towards content production um, because being on stage with moving lights and really loud sound systems was really bad for my brain injury. So it was one of those things where um, I started pivoting my way out of church um, slowly but surely. Um, so I started consulting first, and then I kind of decided to let go of the golden handcuff that was the church for me and go fully into like agency work and content production work. That's, that's really cool. Um, when it comes to just being an ally in those spaces and in, in church and just anywhere, what are some things that you feel you do currently to be an ally? Um, you know, for me, I'm all about loving people. Like, I wouldn't say that I'm a huge people person, which is kind of funny if you really think about it. (laughs) Like, I'm good at making friends, but like, I'm not like a super popular individual that people just like gravitate towards, which is fine. Um, I can be a little bit introverted, but 
I'm very close to the people in my tribe and I've witnessed so many things against the people in my tribe that that's what kind of turned me into an ally. Uh, to give you an example, a lot of my close friends are homosexual and I love them like they were my own siblings. Um, I, for me, when I started seeing how the, they were treated by the church, that's what made me want to step out and say something and be like, you know what, this is wrong. You don't need to treat them poorly just because of their life choice. This doesn't affect you. Um, I've witnessed friends of color that were called the N-word while they were walking down the street. And this wasn't like 20 years ago. This was five years ago. Like people say that racism doesn't exist. And I'm like, that's hilarious because I've seen it in my own network and not like network as in like friend or uh, work, but these are like some of my closest friends. So I'm, I'm very protective over my, over my tribe. And when I see them hurt, that's when I think I go into like mama bear mode. Not that I'm a mom. I'm not even a mom. I'm not, you know, I'm single, but uh, like I go into like protective mode. And I think that's what drives me as an ally is really wanting to protect the people that I love. And it's not even like, there's people out there that I don't know. And I don't want them to get hurt. Like that's, that's really, that's the lens that I do all of my work through is I want to help people not go through what I've been through and what some of my closest friends have gone through. So I'm just trying to change the, the, the narrative in the church. That's awesome. I love that. I feel like you kind of covered this one a little bit. Were you always someone who spoke up and worked to give a voice to marginalized people? Or was there something maybe specifically that led you to this? I didn't have a voice for a long time, if I'm being honest with you. Um, I think I've more recently found my voice. Um, I would say that the catalyst for me, so I've worked in a lot of churches. Um, the most recent church that tried to hire me, <laughs> they saw that I was creating this touchy subjects, uh, podcast, and they saw that I would be tackling issues like homosexuality and stuff like that. And they literally told me, and this was this this was me in the process of being like, I really don't want to work in church, but I'm going to take the job because we're in a pandemic and it's good money. Um, but these people actually told me that I would not be allowed to talk about these issues. And it was that moment where... I was like, well, this is not an alignment. This is not going to work for me. Please remove me from your, uh, from your list of candidates. And so I think that was the moment for me where I was like, it's on. <laughs> it does. It, that was that moment of me like, okay, we're going to do this and we're going to do it right. Um, and I haven't looked back. I, since that moment, I'm like, I don't want a church job. I have not been to church since that. And it's, the thing is, is I still have my faith. I'm not saying that I'm saying I need to heal. And if you look at all of my work, my whole body of work, I do it through the lens of healing. And I'm not saying this from like a Jesus-y kind of situation. 
it's, I want people to find inner healing, whatever you have to do to use it, whether it's Reiki, I love Reiki or, um, neuro-linguistic programming. I've, I've had that, or, you know, there's so many different ways to find healing that doesn't involve, you know, going to church. So I, you know, some people, you know, it, it kind of gets, um, enmeshed in there, but I don't, I don't do that. Me personally, I want to give people resources that if they've been hurt, that they can find healing and they can move past some of these things, not, not to invalidate them, but to validate them so that they feel like they are seen and heard. That's really important to me. And so if anything, I think that was the catalyst that was like, nope, we're going to do this and we're going to, we're going to get the word out. Yeah. Uh, Do you think that when the church that was talking to you didn't want you to speak, do you think it had anything to do with like you being a woman and not wanting you to speak on topics or just like they didn't like the topics in general? Oh, that was a different church. Oh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, let's go down below. No, I'm kidding. I, I, I won't mention any names, any locations, nothing like that. But what I can tell you is that this particular church, it was about the topics. Because what I had done was I had just done like an IG live with one of my closest friends who was married to a woman, by the way, but he identifies as queer. And we talked about, you know, how to be an ally for Pride Month in the church. And so we had a really great conversation on it and they did not like it. They were like, if you were to get hired here, you would have to take that down. And I was just like, "Mm." middle fingers up <laughs> we're gonna blow this popsicle stand sorry can I say that <laughs> yeah <laughs> you're good <laughs> so yeah that 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 church was specifically on that end they didn't want me to talk about social justice I mean this is a very predominantly white church in a rural area outside of a big city so you know it's predominantly white they don't want to hear about that stuff they want to live in their little bubble where everything is happy and there's no racism and there's no discrimination and they're not living in the real world. It's right. just not real. Yeah. Cause if it's not a problem for them, I mean, yeah, there are so it's, it's hard to find a church that is really welcoming or I know so many of them use the come as you are, but uh, somebody said recently to me, they're like, we all know that really just means you can wear jeans. Like it doesn't really mean like, <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, that's definitely not, I, I've been to a few affirming churches. There's one church in Florida that I was at, I did a show there, um, last year in it's sunshine cathedral. And they're known as the most LGBTQ plus affirming church in the country. Oh, wow. In fact, I believe the pastors are gay. Um, and so there, it was, it was really funny. They had condoms in the bathroom. Oh my gosh. I've definitely never been to a church like that. Oh, it was, I, I remember I, I was in there and I was only, I was there doing a show with the gay men's chorus of South Florida because my one of my best friends is the artistic director. So I was helping him with some music stuff. And I remember I was one of the few females there. There's like 96 men in the choir and then there's an orchestra and like there might've been a total of five females in the building. <laughs> and so I went into the women's restroom and uh, they, one of the other girls came in. She was like, 
uh, did you go into the men's restroom? And I was like, no, why? There's like, there's definitely condoms in there. And I was like, okay, well, welcome to affirming country. I mean, I was, I was with it. I was like, this is awesome. You know, I, uh, you know, it was something I'd never seen before. And I've been in over a thousand churches in my career. So I've been to a lot of churches and I've never seen that before. So I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, that's super, that's super cool. (laughs) So one thing that I have heard people say when it comes to being an ally is comments like, it's just not my battle, or I'm not against people of different races or the LGBTQ community. I just don't care to get involved because it doesn't impact me. What are your thoughts on this type of a perspective? It is your problem. And that response is the problem. As white folks, like if we're thinking about this strictly on a discrimination based upon race issue, it is the job of white people to have these tough conversations because it's not going to change until we do. I've had a lot of conversations with some of my closest friends that are black or Hispanic or, you know, whatever race they are. And this is the main thing that I hear from them, which is white people have to stand up for us. We can tell, they said, we can tell you till we're blue in the face that this is wrong, but they're not gonna believe it out of our mouths. They're only going to believe it if you double down and you as a white person says something about it. And so that was something that I really took in. And as I've kind of embraced this role as an ally, I've noticed that to be true because I can have a conversation. You know, I, I live in South Carolina and I hate to say it, but there's, I've, I've heard some more racist comments out of my own family members. Now, a lot of that is conditioning. They grew up in the South and in that, in that time frame, And so I've had to have conversations of, so you really can't say that. And I would go into detail as to why. Now, they are going to be more receptive of me telling them that than somebody else when, when that would put them on the defense. So it's a lot of it is about how you approach it. If you're approaching it in love, because the thing is, I don't think my family members are racist. I think that they've been conditioned to say things that they don't realize is inappropriate. You know what I'm saying? And so by approaching it from the lens of, I want to correct you in love so that you don't say this and hurt somebody outside of the house, because that's, that's important to me. And the thing is, is that every time I've done that, they've received it. And I've had to do that with other friends too. I've done it with strangers where it's like, hey, I saw your post. The comment that you made is very insensitive towards the LGBTQ community. Here's why it is insensitive. And believe me when I tell you, I am not coming for you. I just want you to know that, that like th- this is harmful to somebody. And if people are receptive and they're teachable, then they generally will take it and they'll be like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. I didn't realize that was an inappropriate statement. And then they'll retract it. So it's all in the approach. Now, granted, there are other people that are like, well, I said what I said. And they they go into the more defensive mechanisms, 
they're not teachable. And then they go more into the gaslighting and manipulation and they try to defend things and then they take scripture out of context. And that's when, honestly, I cut off their supply and I just stop responding because I'm like, okay, I'm seeing narcissistic tendencies here. We're going to, I'm going to cut off this conversation because I, there's no point. It's like talking to a brick wall. So really it's all about like figuring out the person that you're trying to communicate with, speak their language and try to let them understand without hurting them that, okay, this, this behavior needs to change. Yeah. I, I really like that, especially, um, just how, how you framed all of that. I think you made some really good points and just positioning it where you're speaking up, but you're speaking up from a place of love and with the thought that a lot of times, obviously sometimes, you know, there's exceptions, but a lot of times it's not a conscious intentional racism or homophobia or whatever it is. It's coming from a place of ignorance, I guess, for lack of a better word. Um, (laughs) No, that's exactly what it is. But then there are blatant racists out there which that's when I just go for the jugular (laughs) (laughs) like I I I mean I think you can go see I I made a post recently and somebody made a comment and I just went in for the kill because I'm like and then I have to go back and be like you know what I'm going to cut off their supply it's all in how you handle it and all in how they respond if they respond and don't react, then you can generally tell if they're safe or not. Mm. But it's all in the response, whether I am kind or whether I'm, they're going to get cussed out. <laughs> so, to each their own, I guess. Yeah, no, it makes sense. Uh, what do you think is one thing that white people specifically need to do better when it comes to allyship? Let me think. Um, I think they have to be consistent. It can't just be when George Floyd gets killed. That's, I I think that's one of my biggest pet peeves about allyship is you only see people talking about these issues after the crap hits the fan where it is, it needs, or just black history month. That is another, like I, I make the comment all the time. I'm not just an ally during Black History Month or Pride Month. I am an ally year long, like year round. That's one of my biggest things. It's not just something that you do just because it's February. It is a continual investment of time in supporting others and holding ourselves accountable when mistakes are made. And it takes apologizing and being prepared to rework your approach as things in culture changes. Yeah, no, that's, that's a really good one. There's definitely a lot of people that, you know, once a year you'll share like a Martin Luther King Jr. post and it's like, (laughs) I did my job. (laughs) (laughs) I was actually just talking to one of my best friends and she, she, she's black and she attends a predominantly white church. And she was like, it is Black History Month. They acknowledged Valentine's Day, but the only thing they've done to acknowledge Black History Month is a post on Instagram with a black hand and a white hand saying, love one another. And I'm like, if they can acknowledge Valentine's Day and have a whole event about it, 
they can do a little bit more because apparently there's more people of color that are starting to attend that church. And it's like, if you want your demographics to be diverse, then you have to show that you are culturally aware from the pulpit. Mm-hmm. It has to be like safe every- for diverse people. <laughs> yes. It, I always tell people like, because I do a lot of consulting with music in AV. I'm like, your, the people on your stage need to be a reflection of who is in your audience. So if you have a culturally diverse church, then your stage needs to be culturally diverse. And if it's not, there is a problem. If your church congregation is culturally diverse, then your pastoral staff needs more than one token black man as a pastor. Sorry. Mm-hmm. No, you're, you're right. If the, most of the churches that I've been to, if there has been a black person on staff, it's like, one or two. I mean, a lot of them are, and I mean, I do live in a predominantly white area, but it is not, there is diversity here that is not, you know. Well, I mean, I lived in Chicago a few years back and I went to a church that I was just, you know, kind of visiting and I was having a conversation with the pastor afterwards. And he was like, well, you know, Chicago is very segregated it's segregated by neighborhood. You wouldn't think that because it's a large city. And, but it, and then I really started to look at it and I would go into different neighborhoods. I'm like, okay, so this is the Hispanic neighborhood. This, you know, I would be able to go through and, and kind of identify how it was segregated. And so the way that their church model ran, they had churches for their communities and, but it wasn't reflective of their audience. And that's the problem. People want to see themselves on stage. That's how they identify. That's how they connect. And so that's one of my major pet peeves with the church is that they don't think about who's in their audience. When I'm like, first of all, church is a business. Like, I hate to say it that way. And there's a lot of people who hate that, but I would rather it be ran like a business than a free for all, like little podunk, church family operation. I'm sorry. No, you're not wrong. <laughs> you're sorry, not wrong I, at all. You get me on a tangent and I'm like, ah. <laughs> but yeah, that's, uh, I have so much to say on that, but no, you, I think that would be my biggest thing is you have to be an ally year round. It cannot just be one year a month. Absolutely. So how do you pick your battles, so to say, when it comes to speaking up and knowing when to say something or what to say? This is something that I think is always maybe, I don't know, an ongoing challenge for me. (laughs) Yeah. um, Okay. So are you familiar at all with human design? Um, I want to say yes. So one thing I've been really studying, because as I've been deconstructing, I've, I've kind of looked into other areas of spirituality that I would never have allowed myself or given myself permission to look at before because the church is so like dead set against it. And I mean, I, I think I told you, like my family is deep into the church. So it, this is like a colossal no-no. <laughs> like it took me about six months before I would even tell my mother that I was even looking into this, um, which I would say by now she's finally like, open to me looking at it, but it it took time. Um, So I started kind of studying human design, just trying to understand how it works. 
and basically understanding how we are all wired. And so that's what human design teaches you. And so my type is I'm a manifesting generator. And one thing that makes manifesting generators tick is that we go off of response. So, so how I know when to stand up for something is generally when I feel resistance inwardly that makes me want to respond, that's when I know, okay, I need to, I need to address this. Um, and so I know that's kind of a bypassing way to answer that, but it, that's really like, once I started kind of studying this whole new way of life, what's hilarious is the stuff that makes me tick is generally the content that, that just blows up. So that's something I've learned about myself over the past year is that if there's something inside that makes me truly like, I just, I got something to say and I'm just going to go ahead and say it. It's generally because there's something inside that's like, you better say it, you better say it, just, just go. And it's, it's, it's a weird knowing, like I need to handle this. And I, I do, I trust my intuition. It's not even about creating content that gets likes. I don't give a damn about likes. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like it, what's hilarious is that a lot of my posts don't get a whole lot of likes, but I get a lot of listens. I know that I know that my content is converting. And so I'm a weird analytics nerd. So <laughs> I don't, I don't remember that. but no, that how I know is generally that like intuitive voice inside that just is like, you got it. You have to address this. And generally when I do, it gets addressed. <laughs> yeah, no, I think honestly, just following that intuition and self-awareness about when to speak up is is a great place to <laughs> it's it's something like I sometimes I get myself in trouble <laughs> um either with like my mother <laughs> like she shows I, I'll there's a there's there's a couple of occasions where my mom will be like Aaron you shouldn't have said it that way you know <laughs> you just you just kick the hornet's nest um and then uh, there's occasions where people come at me where like, oh, you're just trying to expose the church. And I'm like, actually, if you would have listened to anything that I've put out, you would know that this is not at all about exposing the church. This is about making it better and making it healthy and a less toxic place for people to live and work in. Mm -hmm. That's all this is also, just from that frame point, it's like if they see you as trying to expose the church, then what do they see their role as trying to cover it up? Like, it's just a well, people are quick to protect the institution, but not the human. That is absolutely true. And so yeah. for me, I mean, I'm getting ready to release an episode detailing my experiences with sexual harassment in the church. And this is something that I go heavily into, which is, I feel like the church forgets the human aspect and the people in the congregation are protecting the institution over their fellow man. And that is a major problem in the church. Mm -hmm. And that's where, like, if you want to hear me go off on something, 
that's where like, I'm not by any means a preacher. I have, that is not the calling on my life. My calling is to correct the shit. So (laughs) it's one of those things where I'm like, folks, stop protecting the pastor in the name of, oh, we don't want the church to go to hell in a handbasket. Maybe the church should. Maybe that church doesn't deserve to be a church. Maybe that pastor doesn't deserve to be a pastor. Maybe that pastor should get his shit together. I'm sorry. Am I allowed to say that? Yeah, you're fine. <laughs> okay. Sorry, I, I watched my mouth. Um, you know, it, it just because it's, it's one of those things where I don't put pastors on a, on a pedestal. They, they very much are human. And I understand that everybody makes mistakes. However, when you're in a place of leadership, you are supposed to be leading people to God, not to your own fame and influence. And if you are going in that direction, then there is something wrong and you don't deserve that place of influence. Yeah, absolutely. So I guess we just have a few questions left. This one's a a fun one. And you have a few of your own podcasts can, or a couple, can you tell us about those and how to find them? Sure. Um, So I have touchy subjects and that's the one that is kind of about deconstructing and tough conversations about the church. I have an Instagram account. It's the, the handle is at let's talk touchy subjects, or I have a Facebook group called the touchy subjects community. And so, you know, inside of that group, we just talk about things that come up deconstructing or even what one thing that I don't think a lot of Christians realize is that I think that most Christians deconstruct. I know that deconstruction is a four letter word in the church right now, but I even have my mother who is a pastor of a Pentecostal church. She is finally starting to understand that there are things that she's deconstructing and it shouldn't be this nasty stigma that a lot of people are trying to pin it on because I think that's control, but that's a different subject. So inside of the touchy subjects community, we kind of have some of these conversations. I try to have guest speakers come in and talk about their experiences, you know, just do lives. It's, it's really low key. Um, I try to keep it drama free. The Instagram account is definitely more towards deconstructing people. Um, But I do that intentionally because they're completely different audiences. And then I have my business podcast, which is called the Magnetize Me podcast that I do with my co-host. Her name is I Win. Um, And we really, we talk about mindset and strategy and energetics and even like self-care. I I think the episode that comes out next week is all about self-care, which is something I didn't learn in the church. They teach you to go, go, go until you're dead. And so like me taking time out of being in church, that's something I'm really having to learn about is wellness and really how to take care of myself. That's really important to me. Um, And so those are my two podcasts, but I also, I produce a lot of different shows. Um, That's my business is um, I help people podcast and help create content I'm actually launching an agency right now. So it's a soft launch, but we handle everything from video, photography, podcast. And then I have a creative management service because of my background in the music industry. And I manage artists and authors and speakers and all that kind of fun stuff. 
That is really awesome, which also nicely leads us into our next question about coaching, because if, if I understand correctly, you do some coaching. Can you talk mm -hmm. about what you do with that? Who would benefit from those services? Yeah, so a lot of the coaching that I do is podcast related or like content creation related. Um, so much of my background in agency work and even in church, because I mean, I don't think people realize when you're in church, you're creating content seven days a week. <laughs> it's just, who is your audience? Um, but with my coaching, I generally work with entrepreneurs because podcasting is a great way to build an audience, to build a community. Um, and as an entrepreneur, it allows you to build an audience full of warm leads. And so the goal of your podcast is to convert them into clients. Now for like me and touchy subjects, I don't want deconstruction clients. That's not what I'm, I'm trying to do. That's more of my, like, I'm trying to get, I'm trying to set the world on fire. Um, <laughs> uh, whereas my business podcast, no, that's about getting clients. Um, and it, it, it's about monetizing, to be honest with you, because there's so many different ways to monetize your content and monetize your authority. That's really important because I'm not about working in nine to five or even working in church for that matter. Uh, I'd much prefer to work for myself and have that freedom that comes along with that. Absolutely. So where can people connect with you? I think you mentioned a couple ways. So yeah, I, I have the, the two um, Instagram accounts. Um, you can find me on Facebook just by searching my name. Um, my website is ebcreates.com. Um, and you can easily get a hold of me there. Um, I'm pretty easy to find. <laughs> and I will link all of those in the show notes as well. Okay. Well, that's awesome. Thank you. Um, yeah, I, my SEO is pretty popping right now, but that's intentional. <laughs> <laughs> well, awesome. Okay. Well, thank you so, so much for joining us today. I really appreciate you taking the time and talking about all of this stuff. Well, I appreciate you having me. It's, it's always fun to be a guest on somebody else's show. Yeah. Thank you so much for listening. If you made it this far, I would really appreciate it if you left a kind review. It helps so much and means a lot to me. Connect with me on Instagram at Social Disgraces. Feel free to shoot me a DM if you're interested in collaborating or being a guest on the show. Thanks again, and I will catch you next time on Social Disgraces.